1: Yes, a very good morning, everybody, and welcome again to Tradies News in a Nutshell on Tuesday, the 20th of December across the SEN network on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, SENQ 693 AM throughout Queensland and 1620 AM on the Gold Coast. Alex Molchanov back with you for a final week before Dan Pettigrew returns to take over after Chrissy, and gets back in his rightful seat. It's been a pleasure filling in for him. Over the space of the World Cup cycle, we've had a Rugby League World Cup finish off, a T20 World Cup, and I've sat with you through an entire FIFA World Cup, which has been an honour and a pleasure getting to know you guys, the listeners out there. It's been great interacting with you on the text, and we get to do it for one more week. So please, shoot them all in. one 300 If you want to give me a call this morning, or 457 736 736 if you want to shoot me a text message on this Tuesday morning. Weather today in Sydney, it's cold, isn't it? A top of 20 with some clouds floating around. A top of 23 expected out west in Brisbane. Another sunny day getting up to 27 degrees Celsius this afternoon and with the Gold Coast headed for a top of 24 today. Nicer up there north of the border. I'm going to have to come and join you sometime in the next month or so. Now, I'll open the show this morning, hopefully for the final time, talking about the continuing mess that is the A-League's grand final announcement and the disgraceful scenes that tarnished and led to the Melbourne Derby's postponement down at Amy Park on Saturday night. Three men have been charged yesterday over the pitch invasion. Uh, leave the uh, the. Sorry, I'll uh, regather myself there. Three men have been charged over the pitch invasion at Amy Park that brought the Melbourne A-League derby to a halt on Saturday night, leaving four people injured and an estimated $120,000 worth of damage to the venue. A 23-year-old man was charged after he allegedly struck Melbourne City goalkeeper Tom Glover with a bucket full of sand that was there to put out flares. He's been charged with violent disorder, discharge missile, intent to cause injury, recklessly cause injury unlawful assault and a string of other minor offences. A 19-year-old man has been charged over a separate alleged assault on Glover, as well as an alleged assault on a security guard. He's been charged with violent disorder, discharge missile, three counts of unlawful assault, entry to the competition space, and a couple of other minor charges as well. James Johnson, CEO of Football Australia, was on the front foot on Sunday morning. A positive, in my opinion, as the league's regulator, although... Football Australia, the league, uh, the nation's governing body, are less directly involved in the running of the league than they once were. Their employee, referee Alex King, was also one of those under fire from those pitch-invading thugs. And similarly, victory director Catherine Carnegie, who's moved to condemn the goings-on on Saturday and most importantly, acknowledge the fact that the club's attempts to rat out its rogue element over the last few years have fallen short. Indeed, it's been acknowledged by some fans around the club that a number of the perpetrators on Saturday night, though certainly not all of them, already had life bans to their names that weren't enforced. and They were allowed into the ground, not just into the ground, into the front seats, the front rows on Saturday night. A lot has been said from inside and outside the football bubble over the last 24 hours, and eventually we did hear from APL CEO Danny Townsend, the last to comment, first on Sunrise on Monday morning and then speaking to Channel 10 on the project. And with SEN's Jaleesa Rapps last night, I'm going to play you some of his comments before having my say on the A-League's response to Saturday night's incident.
2: FFA have said that they've given a show completely different. You said you need to now move forward, deal with the consequences. The FFA have said that they've given a show cause notice to the club till Wednesday. What do you expect will happen, and will you have a say in what happened? No, we won't have a say. Um, the, the governance structure of the game is such that Football Australia control the sanction process for good reason, because they can take a dispassionate view. Uh, they're not marking their own work like they may have been before unbundling, and that's important. Um, equally, you've got the the, uh, the criminal investigation going on. Victoria Police are doing a great job, quickly rounding up the perpetrators and punishing them accordingly. One of those things listed in the show cause notice was a potential to play on neutral venue or behind closed doors. Would that be really? Would that be depra- detrimental from a business point of view? Well, yes, yeah, certainly. But it's also disappointing for fans. You know, the vast vast majority of Melbourne Victory fans are very good people. They love their club. They love the teams that play for their club and the players that play for their club. And they love football. So taking that away from them would be a tough tough pill for them and and I'd, you know, I'd hate to see it happen but at the end of the day you've got to live with the consequences of actions and and the fa will will make their decision what would you like to see happen i think i'd like to see balance i think we'd zero in on the perpetrators and focus on ensuring that that never happens again and those people can't use our sport as a camouflage for criminal criminality which is what happened mm-hmm. on saturday night they weren't football fans they weren't melbourne victory fans they, they were people that wanted to use that platform to demonstrate uh, their. Yeah, they're um, anti-social activity.
1: Danny Townsend speaking with Jaleesa Raps. Jaleesa coming up on The Breakfast Show from 6am this morning on SEN 1170am. You'll hear her with Jimmy Smith from 5am if you're up in Queensland. That's coming up in about 55 minutes' time. Uh, I have several problems with the APL's response, the first being the delay. The FA, Melbourne Victory, as well as the supporter group, Original Style Melbourne, who these idiots... Claim to be a part of, all had a statement out the following day. Where were the people running the competition? I'm purely speculating, but I'd hazard a guess that they couldn't agree on what what their response would be, much like they couldn't agree on whether taking the grand final to Sydney was a good idea. In fact, I think the 12 A-League clubs, plus Canberra United and the A-League women's, would have an issue if they were asked to agree on whether the sky is blue at the moment. It's not a great situation for your public-facing CEO. And I'll add this is long something I've seen as a great strength for Danny Townsend, his performances in media, and the fact that he has been keen to interact with the fans that pay his wages when a big issue like this comes up. But he's stuck between ownership groups who've lost each other's trust along with the trust of the fans they're meant to act in the best interests of. And Townsend has borne the brunt of that rightly or wrongly. The second thing that's irked me over the past 48 hours or so is the game's desire to distance ourselves, and I say ourselves because I am a passionate football supporter, as you know, if you've been listening over the last few weeks. Uh, We've been keen to distance ourselves from the perpetrators. Danny did it there. James Johnson did it in his press conference on Sunday. The These Aren't Football Fans line is a, a very neat one to trot out, and I can understand why it's used, but it's harmful. Because it ignores the problem us football fans are well and truly aware of, but all too keen to gloss over when it's convenient. These people are football fans. They keep turning up. And not just that, they're front and centre of the atmospheres that we rightly applaud and celebrate when it's all going swimmingly. But distancing ourselves from them abdicates us of the responsibility of dealing with them and the culture that empowers them which is present within certain sections of supporter groups across the A leagues and some of the lower divisions as well. When the game is not self-policing, that's when police present and, you know, people criticize us more justifiably. That is a battle the game needs to win with itself. and And it begins by acknowledging and accepting that the problem we have exists as fortunately Melbourne Victory Club director Catherine Carnegie did in her press conference on Sunday. That's the starting point. Fortunately, fixing all this shouldn't be too difficult to task. Firstly, because these fans are an extremely small number. Football fans, yes, but a minuscule minority. We're not, we're talking thousands of a percent here. And secondly, because it's been rectified overseas, there's a, a model for us to follow, not least in England, where hooligans hooliganism was rife throughout the 1970s and 80s, as well as throughout Spain and Italy, where again, hooliganism once rife has largely subsided, to the point where occurrences like this, once semi-regular overseas, are now near non-existent. The same can be achieved here in double time, as they were there, so long as those well-meaning in the game are wise enough not to stick their heads in the sand. The next problem the game has to face is the financial difficulty that has seen it in these inflammatory circumstances in the first place. I found it half amusing that police saw it necessary to seek out Sydney FC and MacArthur fan groups to remind them of their, their responsibilities ahead of their derby on Christmas Eve. They shouldn't worry themselves. A subdued crowd of 10,000 would be seen as a successful night for the club and the game, considering the incendiary atmosphere Around the sport at this moment in the country. Hard to believe I'm in here talk I was in here talking about Matt Leckie's brilliant effort against Denmark a short three weeks ago. I'd love your thoughts uh, on all of that. one 1170 or shoot me a text, 457 and happily can move on to a little bit of a happier football
0: story. This is it. Gonzalo Montiel, the man who gave away the handball. That Drew France level at 3 all at the end of extra time. Gonzalo Montiel for Argentina. The world waits. Montiel steps up and he's put it in the back of the nets. And it's Argentina. Montiel has scored and Argentina have won the World Cup. Her destiny has been fulfilled. The journey is complete. Argentina are World Cup champions.
1: Leo Messi and Argentina, the little master for me, confirmed his place yesterday above the brilliant Diego Maradona and the legendary Edson Arantes de Nascimento, also known as Pele, in the pantheon of footballing geniuses to have walked planet Earth. His two goals in the final and a ding-dong battle with PSG teammate Kylian Mbappe will live on forever alongside his Numerous impressive achievements of Barcelona over more than a decade. His longevity at the highest level of football is something we haven't seen before. And it's what se- separates him from the previous two that I just mentioned. And I could reel off the numbers that would said yeah, head into a spin about the goals, the assists, the trophies. But as with all the greatest athletes, the most telling thing I can tell you to do with Messi is watch him. Because there is something different in terms of the speed, the thought, the power, precision, technique, and sheer majesty. The way he controls a football, strikes it, passes it, dribbles it, and inevitably puts it beyond whichever goalkeeper he's facing and into the back of the net. It makes him unlike anyone who has ever done it and any who will dare to follow in his footsteps like Lewis or Johns with a Steen, Woods with an iron iron, Federer with a tennis racket or Thorpe in a 50-meter pool, there's something hypnotizing about these athletes. They move differently, more gracefully, like they were born to do it. And, of course, they never are. This, ne- this naturally appearing talent is honed through hours and hours of repetition, mixed with the right mind and body to harness that hard work. Messi in his diminutive frame, rapid little legs and his unbothered head is the closest football has come to perfection. And the World Cup is his crowning glory. Made all the sweeter by the weight. 16 years since his first appearance at the tournament, eight years since his first final, and the extra hour that Kylian Mbappe made him work for with those two late goals. It was a wonderful final and a crowning glory for one of the best to ever do it. One 1170 If you want to talk about Messi, I'm happy to sit here for the next forty-seven minutes or so talking about him. If that's what you'd like to do, but we'll move on. Cricket, the first test, a test match that finished inside two days. Jalisa and Jimmy had their say on it yesterday morning. Is it okay? Are you angry about it, like Jimmy, or is it an aberration that occurs once every ninety years on these shores? Well, I tend to think it's that. I sat on the couch over the weekend watching his stumps flying and catches being held. And wasn't the fielding fantastic? Wasn't the fielding fantastic over the two days? Some of the catching. Cameron Green, a guy who had never played or had never fielded apparently in the gully before being called up for Australia. Hasn't he made that position his own? Wonderful athlete, wonderful pair of hands. And I, I enjoyed watching it. Is it a bad thing if it continues happening? Absolutely. Did the groundsman at the Gabba get it wrong? Probably. Is it the end of days? No. Uh, and what I will say is, yes, the pressure's now on the MCG curator to get things right, particularly after last year's Boxing Day test finished inside three days. Another instance of that, and the ICC rightly will come calling and asking questions, but I think some of the pearl clutching about a once-in-a-90-year result contributed to by a range of factors the pitch sure but two brilliant bowling attacks and a south african batting lineup that's going to struggle for the next two test matches as well a a test match batting lineup that's a shell of the last three touring teams that south africa have sent here that have actually managed to nick series wins quite remarkable that they've managed to do that Uh, they're long odds to repeat the trick for a fourth time running i can tell you that much and one last story before the news because we've been short on rugby league news over the past few weeks and months, this is a big story. Dylan Brown has resisted the inquiries and the offers of the Dolphins. and He signed a remarkable eight-year deal with the Parramatta Eels with several options in his favour. The first exit clause in three years' time at the end of 2025. And this, of course, has raised questions about the Eels' ability to re-sign Mitch Moses, also off-contract at the end of this season, but... Jim Sorrentinos, the club CEO, saying to the nine papers this morning, keeping Dylan doesn't have anything to do with the offer we have for Mitch. Oh, funny that. Not from our perspective, Sorrentinos said. Mitch and Dylan have both been priorities for us, and that remains the case. Our desire is for Mitch to stay. We've made that very clear to him and his manager. And hopefully he does stay. Eels fans, love your thoughts on that. And is Dylan Brown worth the long-term commitment? Eight years, he'll be 30 if he does get all the way through that contract, all the options in his favour, would be very, very interesting to see. how that. Are, are you in favour of long-term deals or deals of that length at all? I know some aren't. SEN's Kane Collins down in South Australia has been very critical of that in a different football code over the past couple of years. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that plays out. Couple of texts before we get to the first break. Sharky from Nara, good to hear you up early, mate. Uh, sorry, man, you're too young. Maradona way better than Messi, says Sharky. Put Maradona now with the best modern training, better. People think Woods is the best. Nah, old equipment. Jack Nicholas is the man, the Golden Bear. Couldn't agree. Well, I, I take your argument there, Sharky, um, and did it long into his career as well. Uh, there's certainly an argument there. Certainly for, for Jack Nicholas, he was another one of those athletes I was talking about in that little editorial. That just You couldn't take your eyes off him. Watching Going back, and you're right, Sharky, I am too young. I didn't see him play live, but going back, watching the old videos um, and some of the Masters wins is something pretty special and something I never take for granted. The fact that we were lucky enough to see the likes of Nicholas followed up by Tiger. Golf's had some fantastic heroes itself. And Jason from Blacktown, 100 percent Alex, couldn't have said it better myself. Why do we love the great atmosphere? One minute, then distance ourselves from it when it goes wrong. The first step in dealing with a problem is admitting you have one in the first place. Thank you for your contribution on the a league fan troubles over the weekend, Chase. Appreciate your input. 0457-736-736. If you want to shoot me a text message this morning, one three hundred. 01 1170. If you want to give me a call, Alex Molchinoff with you on Trades News in a nutshell. And after our first break of the morning, we'll cross over to the US and chat some gridiron with Chris Perkins. Stay with us. Taking your thoughts on plenty of news this morning the A League dramas with the fans, Lionel Messi winning the World Cup finally, and Dylan Brown's long term contract coming out of the NRL. What do the Parramatta Eels do to follow that up? Love all your thoughts on that. 0457. 736-736 this morning, but it's time to cross over to the U.S. for what What's a, a wild weekend of sporting action and particularly in the NFL. Chris, what is going on over there? Chris Birkins on the line from the United States. How are you, mates?
0: I, I am doing good. And uh, just to answer that question, what in the world happened in the NFL this weekend, the NFL was drunk this weekend. <laughs> and, and I'm not. I am not talking about go out with your mates, have a few... You wake up the next morning with a bit of a headache. Now, I'm talking about dancing shirtless on a table. Your friends take keys from you. You wake up the next morning hugging a toilet going, dude, where's my pants? Drunk.
1: (laughs) Oh, what a fantastic sport you guys have got going over there. And just the format of the season, everything about it. The NFL is one of the best products in sport anywhere in the world. Let's start with the Cowboys because they, well, they know how to stuff it all up, don't they? Let's put it that way. They blow a lead to <laughs> Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. So many football fans are a big fan of this, but they're also one of the most supported teams over there in the United States. What has been the reaction to this, Chris, an overtime loss in the most dramatic circumstances?
0: Yeah, 17 nothing. Cowboys led by 17 points in this game. All right. Should have been game over. Cowboys, they're a contender. All right. They're Mm. they're second in the NFC East. Got a showdown Saturday night, Christmas Eve against the Eagles in Dallas. And they still have a shot at winning the division. Mm. Now that that shot took a that shot at winning the division took a serious hit, though, when uh, they went to overtime and Dak Prescott through a very awkward looking pass. That got deflected and bounced into the arms of a defender who proceeded to take it to the house for a walk-off touchdown in overtime. Uh, 40-34, Jacksonville beats the Cowboys. Uh, It's hard to explain because the Cowboys' defense this year has been so good, Hmm. but there is no excuse for giving up 40 to the Jags. The Jags, they're getting better, they've got some talent and Trevor Lawrence has gotten better and better as the seasons worn on mm. but there's still no excuse for giving up 40 to the Jaguars.
1: Yep. Yep. And you're talking about a team that are a contender, looking a little bit like a pretender from a, all the way over here in Australia. Well, now, I don't know if that's that's accurate, Chris. Can they upset the odds and and come back from here or is it are they going to be a little too short this season?
0: Well, here's the thing. I think I mean there there's chances of winning the uh, NFC East. Uh, they're they they are basically slim and done, and, and Slim's walking to the door. All right, mm. their, their odds of winning the division are are ridiculous. I mean, the the Eagles will have to lose out Ross. for the Cowboys to be able to win the division, and the Cowboys would have to win out. Mm. All right, so. I, I don't see that happening. So uh, the Cowboys' best case scenario, the likely scenario, is they're going to be the five seed in the NFC. Yep. Uh, which means they play Wild Card Weekend on the road, probably, uh, most likely against the NFC South Division champions. Yep. All right. Now that's going to be a very winnable game because that division champion is probably going to have a losing record. Uh, the Cowboys will be a significantly better team than the than whoever they would play in the playoffs, even though it would be a road game. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they could win a playoff game, but how deep do they go? Their, their likely second uh, divisional round game would be the Eagles. Mm. So, yeah, the the odds of a deep playoff run, they're, they're getting slimmer by the day, and you know, losses like that to the Jaguars do not help matters at all for the Cowboys.
1: Do not at all. Now, moving over to the AFC, we had that big game. We are talking about it uh, last week played in the snow up in Buffalo and the Bills clinching their spot in the playoffs with a a winning field goal, the final play of the game in their game against Miami.
0: Yeah. And that was real. Honestly, that game was a lot. It it was a lot closer than I expected it to be because Mm. Miami had come in losing two in a row. It was in Buffalo. It was cold. It was snowy. Although the snow held off for most of the game. I mean, it looked great. I mean, Buffalo got a couple of feet of snow, yeah, over the course of Friday and into Saturday, and the snow, and then it just stopped during the game. They got the field cleared off. It didn't start up again until fairly late in the game. Uh, so, I mean, the conditions were actually pretty good for that ball game. But yeah, uh, Miami played it close. They played a fantastic game. Just came up a little bit short, and that's that's the that's the home field advantage. Mm-hmm. It's Buffalo in December. When, when you're a road team who plays in the tropics like Miami does, that is a tough, tough road trip. Plus you're talking about that was the third of three in a row on the road, two on the west coast, one in Buffalo. So it's been a rough stretch for the dolphins, uh, which you know now now put them where they're they're kind of in a fight now with 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 several other teams. I'm pulling the standings up right now uh, in the AFC. right now, Miami sits at the seventh seed uh at eight and six. The the Patriots and the Jets they're chasing. I mean, the Patriots had a golden opportunity they absolutely blew yesterday against Vegas. Mm. Uh, the Jets they're at seven and seven, and you know we mentioned the Jags they're six and eight. They've still got a shot at a playoff spot. So we're we're gonna have a heck of a race for that seventh seed in the in the AFC this year. And the Jaguars
1: have got that run because they play some divisional teams, and the AFC South certainly not as strong as the AFC East. Uh, during this season, so maybe a little bit of schedule in their favor as well uh, going into this final run home. Elsewhere in the AFC, the Chiefs getting better at the Texans. What are we making of the Chiefs? Are they a chance of going all the way to the Super Bowl? Uh,
0: They are because they've been there before. We we know what they are. We know what the Chiefs are. They're a really good football team. Mm. Uh, They've already clinched their division. They're tied with Buffalo. Best record in the AFC, but Buffalo has the tiebreaker. Uh, so you know Kansas City, they'd have to play wild card weekend as of right now. Now Buffalo loses, Kansas, loses a game. Kansas City wins out. Kansas City gets the one seed home field throughout the playoffs. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're <clears throat> they're definitely a chance, and they've got the experience. Yeah, uh, maybe some alarm bells the last couple of weeks. You know the game against Denver, they they. Kind of put it on cruise control and uh, against Denver. That game was a lot closer than it should have been. And then yesterday, having to go to overtime yeah. against the 112-1 Houston Texans. That's like, okay, uh, are you guys already thinking about your uh, your Christmas party plans <laughs> uh, for this week? Or are you actually focusing on football?
2: Hmm.
0: Because that, that was a game, that was one of those games, again, where or kind of like with the Cowboys, kind of like with the Eagles, went in a close one with Chicago by five points. Yeah. It's one of those where, you know, that, that's where a really good team plays a, a mediocre or worse team and, and maybe doesn't take them as seriously as they should. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you have a case of forgetting that, that, uh, that saying any given Sunday Yes. Yesterday was a good example of that. Any given Sunday, any team can beat anybody else. Mm. And we saw that in multiple locations.
1: A couple of warning bells ringing for some of the, the real the winning hopefuls, the the guys that are uh, looking mm-hmm. to take it all out and just being having their cages rattled a little bit. I'll take you back to Thursday night because the 49ers lent on their D again, but this guy Brock Purdy... Um, he's making some sort of name for himself. They got the better of the Seahawks on Thursday night.
0: Yeah, uh, Purdy, uh, yeah, 21-13, another solid performance. I mean, 217 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, protected the ball. He's doing what is expected of him. And you know, the Niners have got to have a lot of confidence in, in, in how they're looking going, going on this stretch run. They had to be worried. Uh, putting him in as the starting as the starting quarterback, yep. but first couple of starts, you know, that game he came in for Garoppolo when when Jimmy G got hurt, he's played well, and you, you wonder uh, is this going to continue, or, is, or are we going to come to a point where, you know, something happens where that adversity hits and how mm-hmm. he responds to it? But right now. Things are looking really good for the Niners. We'll see if
1: they keep it up. An interesting one to watch in the NFC. And the old head of that conference, Tom Brady, he's lost to Joe Burrow and the Bengals. They still lead their dreadful division, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As we sit now, Chris, can you give me a prediction? Are they going to be playing in the
0: playoffs? By default, probably. (laughs) Now, there's a scenario out there. I... Somebody has to win this dreadful division. Yep. The NFC South. All right. Somebody has to win it. Consequently get the four seed in the in the playoffs and a home playoff game. Tampa Bay's got the got the uh uh odds on they're the odds on favorite right now because you know, they have the best record in the in the division. Yep. But there's a scenario out there where all four teams can finish six and eleven. Mm. Mm. in which case I Carolinas still got a shot at this division I, everybody has a shot at this division <laughs> I, you got Tampa at six and eight you got Carolina New Orleans and Atlanta all at five and nine yeah I, it's it's just uh, it, it's it's ugly it, it's horrific to watch and listen their counterpart, the AFC South did' much better mm. The only difference is there's actually a team in the AFC South that's at 500 Tennessee at seven and seven. Yep. So, yeah, the, the the two South divisions, uh, not exactly not, not good football this year from, from those two divisions.
1: We're not expecting to see them deep into the playoffs. And just before I let you go, Chris, an interesting Monday night football game coming up today. Uh, not two particularly, well, two teams not having particularly good seasons, but trying to gear up for a run to the playoffs, the Rams and the Packers. Who wins? And if they do win, can either of these teams make the playoffs?
0: Well, uh, I'll tell you what. I am right now approximately six miles from Lambeau Field, right in Green Bay. I, I will tell you the weather up here. It is cloudy. It is currently minus nine Celsius. Ooh. I like the Packers in this game simply because of the weather up here, the, right. You know the LA Rams. You know they are. You know they're warm weather. They're SoCal. Yeah. They don't. They don't deal with this cold stuff. The Green Bay Packers, on the other hand. Uh, they they deal with it well. They're, they are certainly used to it. So uh, I'm going to take the Packers in this one. Uh, it, it's it's almost going to be a very it's almost going to be an unwatchable game. In all honesty, because you're talking about the the Rams at four and nine, the Packers at five and eight. Neither one of them are even thinking playoffs right now. Right, They're so far back in their in their respective races. They, this is a play out the string game, and, and I'd say they were you know they were they were playing for for. Uh, draft picks uh, but the Rams I don't think has have their 2023 yeah. first round draft pick mm. so uh, there's not much for the Rams to play for here except for uh, improving Detroit's draft position
1: mm.
0: well, in, in April the division
1: so, rival of the Packers So this, oh, it's so exactly. interesting the way it all plays out uh, in these sort of dead rubbers down the stretch Chris, thank you so much for joining us on another busy Monday for you Tuesday for us, we'll talk to you again later in the week with any luck and uh, thanks again for your contribution to Tradies News in a Nutshell.
0: Sounds good and you have a good day.
1: There he is, Chris Perkins from over in the United States. Always good to get his thoughts and recap the weekend of football and it was a crazy weekend as he opened the cross with the NFL was drunk this weekend and it wasn't pretty for um, <laughs> some of the big teams. Alex Molchinoff with you on Tradey's News in a Nutshell. Going to recap some of the big NRL news. Dylan Brown, re-signing an eight-year deal, an eight-year deal with options in his favour for the Parramatta Eels. That's the, the big headline coming out of the National Rugby League. We'll talk some more football with Lionel Messi basking in the glow of his World Cup win and Argentina's first World Cup win in 36 years, 24 hours ago. And we'll talk some of the disturbing scenes, again, out of the A-League over the weekend. Stick with us. Any of your thoughts on any of those topics, 1300-01-1170, or give me a text, 0457-736-736. We've also got a Boxing Day Test match coming up at the end of the week to look forward to. Big Bash League rolling on. There's sport everywhere. I want your thoughts on it. Give me a call. Alex Molchanov, Traders using in a Nutshell, back in a moment. Tradies, news in a nutshell on this Tuesday morning. Alex Molchanov, delighted to be back with you, taking all your thoughts on the sporting issues of the morning. one 1170 My number, 0457-736-736 if you want to shoot me a text. And the big news on the back page of the Sydney Morning Herald this morning. Lionel Messi holding the World Cup. Uh, probably the greatest World Cup final of all time. I'll have a little bit more of my say on that. After this, But the NRL news that is down at the bottom corner is just tucked away. Moses' $4 million call as Eels seal radical Brown deal. This from Dan Walsh and Christian Nicolussi. parramatta insisting they have the salary cap space to retain Mitch Moses with circling rivals in pursuit of their star halfback after teammate Dylan Brown inked potentially the longest deal in Eels history. Now, it's an initial three-year deal. Player options would take it all the way through to 2031. So it could potentially be an eight year deal for the 22 year old who was being pursued most notably by the dolphins, uh, who've missed out on another big signing Uh, where their big name is going to come from is, uh, well, it's beyond me at the moment. Um, as I mentioned, if those options are taken up, Brown's deal will keep him in blue and gold until the end of 2031 and could go a long way to ensuring he's a one club player. Um, But Moses, what happens to him now? It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, The IL CEO, Jim Sarantinos, speaking yesterday, saying that Mitch is a very important part of our team. I hope he stays, but I support his decision, whatever it is. Um, West Tigers and Canterbury have led rival interest in Moses with returning Tigers coach Tim Sheens meeting with the 28-year-old while both were in the UK for the World Cup. Both clubs have spending capacity beyond Parramatta's, as do the Dolphins, also rumoured to have an interest in Moses, as they seem to have an interest in any player off-contract at the moment. Um, And Sarantino said there's no deadline on the club's offer to Moses or danger of Brown's new deal, tipping his half's partner out of the club. Keeping Dylan doesn't have anything to do with the offer we have for Mitch. Uh, Mitch and Dylan have both been priorities for us, and that remains the case. Our desire is for Mitch to stay made that very clear to him and his manager, and hopefully he does stay. Will Pennicini is another one in talks with the club over a new contract. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that all plays out. Another quick league story. Zach Lomax on his best behavior at training after a little scrap with Junior Ramon last week at Dragons training. Interested to see how that all gears up. And a tennis story, because I love my tennis. I'll be down... Um, at Melbourne park for a little period throughout January, taking in some of the action down there. Disappointing. There's no ash party. Breaks my heart not to have her down there, but she's off living her great life. And you might not be aware. The summer of tennis kicks off in nine days, kicks off before the new year with the new United cup group stage, kicking off across Brisbane, Perth and Sydney, um, Adelaide and Canberra internationals coming up from the start of January. And then the United Cup Final Four, Adelaide International, Australian Open qualifying, Kuyon Classic into the Australian Open, which kicks off on January 16. Um, but it's been interesting to, to see the reaction around Nick Kyrgios after he didn't play Davis Cup again this year. The bastardization of that format has probably been a bit of contributing factor as well as the money he was offered elsewhere. No surprises that Nick was keen to take that. Uh, if we've paid any attention to his career over the past near decade now, it's quite remarkable to think that Nick has been around that long um, and probably is in the form of his life. Uh, Pat Rafter having his say on Curios's chances of winning the Australian Open in the Daily Telegraph today. The talent's there. We've always known it. It's up to him, Rafter said when asked if Curios was prime For a strong showing, we always said that, but you need the whole package, obviously talent-wise, in terms of how you play the game. Yes, but the game is complicated, Has a lot of other things. You have to be really fit. You have to be in a good frame of mind. All those type of things need work. He's an enigma, I guess. It's always hard to know how... It's always hard to know with him how he's going to go, but he's got the talent. And after his run to the final at Wimbledon... In the middle of last year, there's no doubt that Nick Kyrgios has the potential to follow that up with something special. Uh, With half the country behind him, perhaps not quite that many. Are you on Nick's side? Are you backing him in for an Australian Open tilt in 2023? I have to say it depends completely for me on how he acts on the court. When he's focused on tennis, love watching him. I'll be tuned in no matter what's happening, whether I'm rooting for him or against him. Depends on how he conducts himself over the couple of weeks. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to watch. And just one more word on that World Cup final yesterday because it was so special. Probably the most dramatic, entertaining, one of the most even World Cup finals we've ever seen. Two stars going hammer and tong. The fact they're teammates, another little subplot. It was something out of a Hollywood movie. Lionel Messi had Argentina 2-0 up with 10 minutes to play before Killing Mbappe. Scored two goals to take the game to extra time. Messi scored again. Mbappe scored again in extra time. Penalty shootout. Argentina win it. Their sixth win on penalties at a World Cup. No teams won more penalty shootouts. They're a a country with a collective memory of victory. And I I dare say that played no small part in their success from the penalty spot. But a very good piece from Miguel Delaney. uh, Just summing up the situation in Doha, ahead of the tournament's exit from the golf nation. Uh, he opens this piece for the independent over in Britain like this. The first thing you notice is the brilliance of the gold. It's simply impossible to take your eyes off it. There was Lionel Messi walking through the mix zone with the World Cup itself. The very trophy, in my opinion, the most beautiful trophy in all world sport. Confirming that he's world champion and the greatest in history. Shortly before that, Hassan... Al Thawadi, the grandly titled Secretary Secretary General of the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy, had been in the exact same spot, proclaiming this as the greatest World Cup in history. Gianni Infantino had already said the same, happily moving on from Russia 2018, which he had also described as the best ever. Uh, Political realities have changed perceptions since then, and it's obvious to anyone watching that the football went to emotional heights, rarely seen in competition as historic as this. That will be the memory of the World Cup, the constant drama from start to finish, arguably more than any World Cup. It was enthralling and it was also entirely independent of the hosts. What Qatar was like as a stage was irrelevant to what the football was like and it was ludicrous as a last attempt at political appropriation to try and claim that it had anything to do with the hosts. The football had happened in that way because of multiple factors related to the evolution of the game. But that's precisely why these states and autocracies have for so long wanted to use it. And with the Times reporting the Saudi Arabians are the favourites to be hosting the 2030 edition, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. Football and world sport, for that matter, always seems to come with a caveat at the moment. And that's extremely disappointing from a, a personal perspective and from someone who just loves sport and the purity of it and everything it stands for mixed up in everything political and geopolitical in a broader sense uh, is a a great, great shame. And that was no more clear than in the month over in Qatar. one one You'll give me a text, 0457-736-736. Jimmy Smith and Chalisa Apps coming up from 6 a.m. this morning on SEN in Sydney, 5am if you're listening up in Queensland before Mark Braybrook takes over from 6 o'clock your time. We've got the morning show, which is running this morning from 9am with Julian King uh, across both Sydney and Queensland. So all that to look forward to this morning. Still taking your thoughts. Uh, You've just heard those numbers. I'll be back to wrap up the show after a short break here on 11.70, 16.20, up in Queensland and 1620 on the Gold 693 in Queensland, I should say, and 1620 on the Gold Coast. Stay with me. Trades news in a nutshell on this Tuesday morning. Alex Molchanov with you across the networks of 1170 in Sydney, 693 a.m. in Queensland and 1620 on the Gold Coast. Following me, in just a few minutes' time, you'll hear Chalisa apps. With Jimmy Smith, Uh, we've got a text in from Rooster Muzz this morning. Good good morning, Mulchie. Melbourne City goalkeeper Tom Glover gets smashed in the face with a metal bucket of sand. It could have well killed him. Thank God it didn't. And the low-life grub that allegedly committed this violent act gets bail. Am I missing something? Regards, Muzz. Yeah, Muzz, this is within the scope of the law, unfortunately. Um, If you've got the problem with that, which I certainly do, I can see where you're coming from, Absolutely. Um, It's common assault and a string of other minor charges which might beef up any jail time that's coming his way. Um, I would have liked to see Justice run its course a little bit more quickly. Here's just very quickly before we head off on Tradies News in a nutshell, Tom Glover speaking to the media yesterday after getting out of hospital. All good. Looking forward to the AFL being back. Obviously, it's disappointing for football, but um, no, I'm okay, so that's the, thing. the The police will be chasing that up, so I, that's kind of out of my control. My intentions were never to throw it uh, over the fence. Yeah, good to hear that from Tom. Uh, it was brave of him to stand there, I have to say. If I saw 150, 200 thugs running towards me, I would have been going the other way. Uh, hey and Alex King as well as a couple more of the victory players that stood in to try and defend him uh, deserve the congratulations. Uh, Tom... I think he's very, very lucky boy that uh, it didn't end worse for him. That's good to see him safe and out of hospital, hopefully back in action over the next few weeks. Alex Molchanov signing off on this Tuesday morning for trade's News in a Nutshell. Short break, news, and then breakfast, summer edition, coming up with Jaleesa Apps and Jimmy Smith. Stay with us for that. Mark Braybrook coming up from 6am if you're listening up in Queensland. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all again. Join me from 5am.
2: See you then.